Thanks for tuning in to NL Newsday. It is Monday, the first day of the work week. So as always, pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you here today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, as always, appreciate the time. I wanted to start here with this issue of bike speeding, speeding on a bicycle. I, I, this is a weird one for me, but apparently some Toronto cyclists were handed tickets in High Park for biking above the posted speed limit of 20 kilometers per hour last Tuesday, almost a week ago here. Uh, Tracy Osborne said she and her husband were riding downhill on the west side of the park when they were each ticketed 125 bucks. Uh, the same thing happened to uh, Daniel, who was commuting to work through the park. He was also given a ticket at the bottom of this hill. Kyle, I've never even heard of people getting speeding tickets on a bicycle. Is this something that is new, out of the ordinary, or is this always something that's kind of been a possibility here? It's always been a possibility. Um, it is certainly out of the ordinary to see a, an actual case involving somebody getting a ticket while on a bicycle, um, but it's not uh, It's not unheard of. Um, bicycles now, especially with electric bikes, have the power to go quite quickly. Um, if you're going downhill in an area um, frequented by a lot of pedestrians, it can pose a significant risk to the public. And so cyclists do have an obligation to follow the same rules of the road that everybody else has to follow as far as they're set out in, in the applicable legislation. And that includes, in this area, the specific speed limit that has been set there. Now, we're talking about a situation in Toronto, but have you heard of, of cases like this in, in B.C., in the mainland, and the Vancouver area as well? Like, have you heard of people being handed tickets on their bicycle? I haven't heard of anybody being given a speeding ticket on their bicycle, uh, to my knowledge, although I have seen lots of cases where people are on electric bikes and they're given tickets uh, while on the electric bike um, for exceeding the um, the speed that the electric bike is supposed to go. So certain electric bikes are supposed to be speed rated so that they don't go faster than 30 kilometers an hour, um, but a lot of them have been altered or modified to allow them to go faster than that. Okay, um, but like, don't don't you shouldn't you be required to like have like I guess a speedometer or something on your bike if you're going to be handed a ticket for going over the speed limit and you wouldn't necessarily even know how fast you were going. Maybe if it's an electric bike, sure I can understand you might have a speedometer on your bike that makes sense to me. But on just a pedal bike, I, I like how would you even know how fast you were going? Well, I think you have an obligation if you're a rider to make sure that you're in compliance with the law. And 20 kilometers an hour is pretty fast if you're on a bicycle. You would be able to feel that you were at a, a, a clip along speed on a bicycle if you were going um, at that rate. And I think, you, you know, you should be able to tell with, you know, your relationship to the train and, and the road features around you how fast you're going. Remember, too, that a lot of phones now, you can use your GPS on your phone to track your moving speed. You can use your Apple Watch to track your moving speed. You don't have to purchase a speedometer. There are apps and things that can be mounted on, on the bike uh, from your phone that can be used to do those. Okay, so basically putting the onus on the cycler to be able to determine how fast they're going, what their speed is, and whether they are in compliance. Okay, fair enough. Does a ticket handed to you on your bicycle impact your driving record? It does not. Um, if a ticket is issued to you not as the driver of a motor vehicle, it does not appear on your driving record, uh, and it does not uh, affect your insurance rates or your penalty points or anything like that. When, when a cop, uh, a, a police officer, I suppose, were to be going about handing out a ticket like this, I mean, there's no requirement to have your 
driver's license on you or anything like that in this kind of a situation. I mean, I guess you'd still be required or you obviously legally have to identify yourself, I suppose, in that type of a situation. But couldn't you just not have ID with you and, you know, be able to weasel your way out of a ticket like this in some way, shape or form? You could, uh, I suppose, um, not present your ID. And there have been cases in B.C. There was a case by the Richmond Courthouse very recently where an officer attempted to give a ticket to a cyclist who I believe had run a red light and the cyclist refused to provide their identification and tried to ride away uh, and it resulted in a physical altercation. So the last thing you want to do if you're stopped on your bike and you're being given a ticket is, is think I'm going to get away with it by running away or by not stating my name. Police officers also have the power to ask you to identify yourself if they believe that you've been involved in some type of a, an, an offense. And so if the officer sees you commit an offense on your bicycle and says, hey, I need you to tell me your name, uh, you're legally obligated to give the officer uh, your name and, uh, and the information that the officer is asking for from you. And failing to do so could lead to a charge of obstruction under the criminal code. Now, you mentioned you haven't heard of any real cases happening here in, in the Vancouver area in British Columbia, you know, so far. Doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but to your knowledge, it hasn't happened uh, that, that you're aware of. Do you see this being something that could potentially, though, be um, uh, more frequent in the future, given, you know, we're in this kind of zone where we're trying to get away from fossil fuels. We're trying to get people out of their cars, encouraging them to use active transportation, cycling, of course, a very effective way, much faster than, than walking or things like that to get from point A to point B. And as we see more people go into that sort of e-bike kind of atmosphere and, and, and start traveling with those types of modes of transportation, I, I can foresee this becoming more of an issue and maybe blitzes like this one that happened in Toronto start to be more frequent elsewhere in the country. Do you, do you kind of see that trend potentially happening? I know we're not there yet, but I, I can just foresee it in down the road here. You know, I do see the potential for there to be a trend um, uh, with this with this type of, of cycling-related blitz. It's gotten a lot of attention. People are talking about it. I know there are a lot of people that are happy to finally see some enforcement of the traffic laws um, around cyclists. So I know that that's, you know, something that they're, that's obviously going to be on their minds. Um, and there's revenue to be generated here. You know, these, these, every time a, a ticket is issued to a cyclist, it's another couple hundred bucks in the provincial coffers. And we have a lot of things that we have to pay for coming out of the pandemic. Is there a way to really fight this kind of a ticket? It's like, I mean, you talk about having your own app, your Apple Watch, your smartphone, being able to track your speeds. If you could, you know, figure out how fast you were going based on those, you would have some proof. But if you didn't have that, you're pretty much at the mercy of whatever you were clocked at by the officer and making sure that his, um, you know, speed gun is accurate. There's probably not a whole lot you could do. I disagree with that, but <laughs> you'd have to know a lot about the way that officers are trained to measure speed, whether they were using laser or radar, um, you know, especially if they're measuring using radar, the beam of the radar is going to pick up the largest object that's moving in that beam. So a bicycle is quite small compared to other things. It might not be an accurate reading. If they're using later laser, it's very hard to target something as small as a bicycle on the, on the correct uh, surface to make sure that uh, they 
they're getting an accurate reading. And if they're doing a visual estimation, there are a number of problems that can go wrong with a visual estimation, including that officers aren't specifically trained how to conduct visual estimations of people on bicycles as opposed to moving vehicles. Well, I, I was, like I said, baffled a little bit when I saw this story. You mentioned a lot of people are talking about it, so clearly a lot of others out there feel the same way as I do. And I, I'm curious to see if this becomes a trend as we continue to uh, you know, progress to a more active society. Uh, but I'll leave it at that for now. But uh, some interesting information there for sure, Kyla. Uh, switching gears here. I wanted to talk a little bit about drugs, safer supply of, of opiates here, because the province made an announcement, I think it was about two weeks ago now. I, my days are always mangled together here, but I believe it was about two weeks ago where the province introduced uh, this, this new public health measure where illicit drug overdose, we know illicit drug overdose deaths remain high in BC, especially uh, during COVID-19, and this is sort of a way they're looking to help uh, fight that issue that we're currently experiencing. And they announced things um, could potentially be prescribed uh, by medical professionals to try and, you know, provide a safer supply to people out there who are using illicit substances. Uh, you know, things like fentanyl patches, fentanyl uh, capsule, capsules, tablets, if you will, those kinds of things mm -hmm. might be able to be prescribed by doctors here who are willing to participate in this type of a program. And I think anything we can do to help reduce the number of overdose deaths we are seeing in this province should be welcome news. But I'm going to be totally honest. I don't fully understand how this could make a significant difference. One of the conversation pieces that comes up a lot in this conversation is decriminalizing small amounts of illicit drugs. But we hear from a, a police a lot that they've already kind of taken that approach here in British Columbia. They're not charging people for simple possession of small amounts of illicit drugs. Do you? How do you think that would make a significant impact in, in the ability to prevent overdose deaths? Do you see that as having, from a legal standpoint, uh, a real effective mesh method uh, to help get people off of the dirty illicit supply that they might be buying off of their dealers and moving it into the hands of doctors? You know, people are still going to buy from dealers. I, I'm trying to work a question in here, but I'm just I'm still a little <laughs> confused as to how this actually is going to have an impact overall in dealing with the problem outside of hoping to have a few more people getting that cleaner supply that they would want to use. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the biggest hurdles for this is going to be that, first of all, the, the doctors and the prescribers have to agree to participate in the program. So first, you have to get a medical professional that's actually interested in being a prescriber of safe supply. And there's going to be a lot of doctors who just don't have the time or the interest or don't have the knowledge that maybe some of their patients are secret uh, opiate addicts and who need this service. The second big hurdle that I, I see with this is you're going to have a real problem of getting people to access that service. There's one thing, you know, there's one thing to say to phone a dealer and to, you know, to, to engage in a transaction that way where there's no stigma. But if you're going to your doctor who's participating in one of these safe supply programs and saying, so unbeknownst to you all this time, I've secretly been abusing uh, opiate drugs and, and taking them and I'm an addict, um, that's that's going to be a difficult conversation for people to have. And I think the stigma around addiction and the stigma around drug use is going to keep a lot of people who would otherwise be able to access this service from going and making that initial phone call and making the inquiry of their doctor about whether they can be prescribed a safe supply. Okay, so 
it really does come down to buy-in from doctors, which I think is going to be a significant issue here. A lot of doctors, I think, in this province aren't necessarily willing to participate in this kind of a thing. They just want to deal with patient care and, and are less concerned about, uh, not less concerned, that's the wrong terminology, but but you know what I mean? They're not, they're not mm-hmm. wanting to be involved in, in this type of a, of a program here. So how do we get more buy-in? Like legally, obviously you're a lawyer, so I'm trying to get the legal questions in here, but you know, how, how do we encourage people to say this is something that they should be doing? Um, and, and it would also help with, the, of course, the reduction in criminal activity. I mean, I don't know if there's a way to encourage people that this is what they should be doing other than highlighting the fact that, you know, there can be criminal repercussions associated with engaging in the illicit drug trade. The risk associated with using street drugs is very high and your supply chain is not guaranteed because you don't know who along that supply chain is going to be uh, arrested or interrupted um, and how it's how it's going to be affected by ongoing police action. While police are no longer targeting um, the users uh, of the substances, they are still targeting the people who are mm. selling the substances and the people who are packaging the substances and the people who are cutting the substances. And as soon as you take those players out of the mix, you throw in variables that make the, the use of street drugs even more risky. Okay. I think I'll leave it at that for now, Kyla. There's a lot more conversations to be had, and I know I'll be talking with government officials and mayors and, and all those uh, advocates here of, of trying to help with this pro- problem, ongoing problem, significant problem, one that's only been made worse by COVID-19, and we need to find some serious solutions. So I was happy to hear any announcement that might help with this. I'm still just kind of struggling to wrap my brain around how big of an impact this is going to make. But I'll leave it at that for now, Kyla. As always, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Hopefully we'll talk soon. Have a nice day. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. That's Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee right there talking about the announcement from the province from a couple of weeks ago about uh, safer supply uh, being prescribed by doctors, things like fentanyl tablets and patches being available to users to try to get them off that dirty street supply that they might be using and onto something cleaner and safer. And also talking about getting a ticket for speeding on your bicycle. Didn't even realize that was a thing. I mean, I, I understand how it could be a thing. Just didn't think it was actually enforced in that kind of a way. But it was in Toronto not too long ago, and we'll see if it happens in B.C. in the near future.